You can open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. And last week we studied verses 1 through 6 of 1 Peter chapter 3. So we'll go ahead and finish out the chapter today. But what we'll do is just um, go back and we'll start reading at verse 1 again. And uh, just a side note, if you missed last week's teaching, uh, it is up on the website at aloveoutreach.com under the title of A Virtuous Woman. That was last week's study. So you can check that out if you'd like. But First Peter chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Now, starting with our verses for today, verse 7 says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Wow, so there's a whole lot to talk about in that verse right there. A man that is a husband is to dwell with his wife with understanding. And the Greek word used there for understanding is the word nosos or gnosis. And it, be, and it speaks of knowledge. So a husband is to have an understanding or a knowledge of his wife. He should know her better than any other. And she should be able to come to him with the things that are meaningful to her because he has a, a strong knowledge about her and an understanding of her. According to God's word here, and this may not set well in today's world, but nonetheless, God's word, the Holy Bible says that a wife is the weaker vessel. So we are seeing instructions here for husbands and wives, and more specifically in this verse here, seeing how a husband is to dwell with his wife. And uh, there, there's so so much deeper that you can go with that just dwelling with her with understanding that it really takes some time to to meditate on it and think think about it but just having that knowledge of your wife and understanding her completely and what matters to her and and you know dwelling with her in a way that uh honors that and let's turn to uh let's mark this page right because we're going to come back to it here, but let's turn to Galatians chapter 3. Okay, so again in 1 Peter chapter 3 here, we're seeing instructions so far on wives and husbands, very practical instructions that God has given us in His Word here. And then in Galatians chapter 3, we'll start 
reading in verse 26. It says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, just real quickly here, that word sons there in verse 26 is very easily translated as children, as the King James Version reads, because uh, it really speaks of anyone that has come to faith in Jesus Christ. So again, verse 26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So in the eyes of God, the person that has come to faith in Jesus Christ is his child. Your gender does not matter in that sense. But God has indeed established an order for things here on this earth, though. Again, in Christ, it doesn't matter whether we're male or female. But yet God in his word has established an order for us within our households, within our marriage. Okay, And as we flip back to 1 Peter chapter 3, we see from God's word here that it very clearly states that the female is the weaker vessel. So in what ways is a woman typically weaker? Well, in most cases, she is weaker physically, right? Um, Now, I said in most cases, there are, are of course, exceptions. Uh, I was at a powerlifting competition when I was 18 years old, and there was a woman there who was a world-class powerlifter named Bev Francis, who was smaller than me, and she bench-pressed 350 pounds. (laughs) You know, uh, it, it was amazing. So I say in most cases, they're weaker physically, right, by nature. In most cases, women are weaker emotionally. And we just read back there in verse 4 of this chapter that a woman is to be gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So this is how God has designed for a woman to be. Again, she is every bit equally spiritually. In Christ, there is no difference, right? So we also know that a woman is as capable academically as a man. She can think as well. She can reason as well. But God's word, and, that, and that's what's precious in his sight, is that a woman is to be gentle and quiet in her nature. Okay? And in a marriage, we see in this chapter that she submits to her husband. Then the husband, likewise, is to honor this godly wife. Okay? He's to honor this kind of woman. And the word honor there in that verse speaks of fixing a value. In other words, understanding her worth. You fix a high price on it. And you understand, like we talked about last week in Proverbs, it says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing, right? It's, it's, it's a great blessing to have a wife. God, from the very beginning, knew that a wife would be a blessing to a man, and he gave Eve to Adam. And like I talked about last week, Adam received that with great awe. He said, wow, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It was a precious gift to him. So that word honor there that we see in that verse is talking about fixing a value on, setting a high price, right? Remember last week we also talked about in Proverbs 31 where it says that a virtuous woman, right, that her worth is far above rubies. 
Okay? And men have a, an often an easy time today understanding the value of things and placing a high value on things. But God's word points the man here to place a high value on his wife, to fix a high price on her and to honor her. Okay? So a man that is a husband is to do this. We see it very clearly in God's word. And he is to treat her in a very precious way with great delicacy, seeing that she is the weaker vessel and that he is to dwell with her with understanding, right? Because first of all, in the case of a godly woman, right, she's been born again. So she's God's child. So you would treat her as precious. Secondly, if a man professes to be saved, to be born again, then he will want to be obedient to the word of God. He, he would want to see what we're looking at right here in Scripture and say, I want to be obedient to this word here. Now, I know that there are a lot of professing Christian men that do not treat their wives in this manner. Okay, And they will be judged for this. And in the meantime, verse 7 there also tells us that our prayers will be hindered. Okay? So if we're not dwelling with our wives with understanding, if we're not placing that high value on them and seeing them as precious and as the weaker vessel, it can even have the effect in our lives of our prayers being hindered. Okay? The woman that lives her life in a virtuous manner in the sight of God then should have a husband that does the same and treats her as precious. And again, if he does not, he can know for sure that his prayers are being hindered. And his, and his disobedience to the word of God will be dealt with in one way or another. So God's face is turned away from that man's prayers. Okay. Then moving on, verse 8 says, finally, all of you. So verse 8 there is now um, not just speaking to husbands and wives anymore. He's speaking to everyone here. And he says, finally, all of you be of one mind. Okay. Now let's pause right there. Be of one mind. This speaks of agreement and consistency. If you look up that phrase, be of one mind, it speaks of agreement and consistency. In other words, this is how the body of Christ is to constantly function. We are all on the same page as the saying goes, right? Or we should be. I would call it being on the same pages, because we're on the same pages of the Bible and we look to God's word and we see how we are to live, right? We hear God's word, we see God's word, we study God's word together like this, but the thing we are to do is to go out and in a consistent manner and in an agreeable manner, live out God's word, being of one mind. Then verse eight continues and says, having compassion for one another. And that word compassion means that we suffer or we feel like the other person feels. So we suffer like or we feel like the other person feels. That's having compassion. And we can go back and put that back to the, the husband dwelling with the wife with understanding. We have compassion on that. We're sympathetic toward one another. In Romans chapter 12, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. 
That's what Romans chapter 12, verse 15 and 16 says. And that's how the body of Christ is to function. This is what we are to be known for. Associate with the humble. Do not set your mind on high things. Um, Today, it is a shame that the body of Christ does not take care of its own. Right. And again, it often starts in our household where we're not, you know, being Christ like in our own household as men. Right. And as women. And then we go out and we wonder why the body of Christ doesn't have an impact on the world, because we're not even being obedient to the word of God within our own hearts, first of all, and within our own households and then out to the world around us. Right. But it's kind of a shame to me that the body of Christ does not have that impact on the world today, that it's known for taking care of its own, because too many of us are focused on our own needs rather than having sympathy for the needs of others within the body of Christ. If someone is down within the body of Christ, be that with a a physical illness, a, a spiritual illness, or maybe even a financial troubles, right? We as the body are to have compassion for one another. Okay, verse eight continues and says, love as brothers, be tender hearted, be courteous. Okay, you know, this is a very, very in-depth teaching here that that God's word has given us, not me, but that God's word has given us here. And we really need to ask ourselves if we are obedient to these verses that we are studying here. Okay, we, we, we went in depth about wives last week. We see about husbands this week. We see about just the body of Christ in general. Are we obedient to be living this way? Are we showing brotherly love? Are we tender hearted? Are we courteous toward others within our families, within the body of Christ, right? Do, do you even know if a brother or a sister is in need of your compassion? Do you even care enough to dig deeper into someone's life and to find out how they are really doing and what's really going on with them? Have you been blessed in such a way that you can be a blessing to others, either physically, emotionally, financially? Has God taken you through something in your life and has comforted you that you in turn can show that comfort to others? But there's no way for us to really know that unless we dig deeper into each other's lives and show compassion and pity and care and see where people really are. So this is the word of God to the believers in Jesus Christ right here. And this is all descriptive here of a godly man, a godly woman, a child of God, a husband, a wife in accordance with the word of God. This is what we're seeing, how we all should live. Okay, and how else are we to to live? Verse nine, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So, you know, there is a, a very strong fleshly emotion called revenge. Okay, someone has wronged you in one way or another, and there's a bitterness that that wells up within you. Let's mark this page once again and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12.
And let's start reading in verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Now let's stop right there because in 1 Peter, we just read that we are not to return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, right? And here we see that we are to pursue peace and holiness with all people. Then verse 15 continues, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. So we know that we can fall short of the grace of God, right? In Titus chapter 2, we've studied it and I've brought it up a couple different times. It says that God's grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That's what the grace of God that brings salvation teaches us. And it goes on to say the reason that we live that way is because uh, we are looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, And it also goes on to tell us in that same chapter of Titus chapter 2 that Jesus gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people that are zealous for good works. So we are not to return evil for evil, but rather blessing, right? We're not to return reviling for reviling. In other words, somebody upsets us, somebody messes up our lives, does something that causes chaos in our lives. We're, we're not to allow bitterness to come and to, to, to give it back to them, right? And verse 15 here continues and says, Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So you see, by allowing bitterness to take over in our hearts and in our minds, this can defile us and it will defile others as well. And I find it interesting how it's stated there that bitterness, it says bitterness springing up. And that just speaks to me and says, you know, that's how it really happens, right? Someone does you wrong and all of a sudden, boom, this bitterness pops up within you. And it's like, oh, really? I'm going to get them back for this or whatever. That's the first fleshly emotion, right? We have been, you know, we have been attacked in this ministry on a couple different occasions. And I have had to make a very conscious effort to walk away from it when it happens. I've had to, you know say, turn the other cheek and move on. You know, there are a lot of people out there that, that want to pursue wrong things. But we have to determine in our hearts that we are going to pursue peace, righteousness, and holiness. And we've got to see it in the Word of God here. But it's got to go beyond our ears and beyond our brain. And it's got to go into our heart. And it's got to become a part of the way we live. All of this stuff that we're studying here, right? Unfortunately, though, you will find even among professing Christians that there are people that you just need to avoid because they are constantly seeking to tear others down. And you've got to make that choice to say, no, I'm going to pursue peace. 
I'm going to pursue holiness. I'm going to pursue righteousness. I'm not going to return evil for evil here. I'm going to walk away from this, okay? And again, you really got to think about this. And again, you got to take this, these scriptures and meditate on, meditate on them because it applies to things within our marriage as well. There are certain things that you just got to say, man, look at the chaos going on. Look at everything going on in our lives be it financial, be it whatever, you know, and sometimes you got to say, you know what, I'm not going to look at the chaos, I'm going to look at the foundation, and the foundation is my faith, and the foundation is God's word, and the foundation is me going back to my faith and back to God's word and saying, I don't care what my eyes are seeing right now in all of this chaos and all of this mess, I'm going to be obedient to the word of God, and I'm going to find my hope, my rest in him, right? And as we flip back to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 continues, 1 Peter 3.10. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Okay? So this is the very thing that I'm explaining to you here. You want to love your life? You want to see good days? Well, keep quiet. Keep your words to yourself. Turn and walk away. Trust in the Lord and instead decide to pursue peace. Okay, And do all you have to do to avoid anything else, right? Uh, as long as much as it's possible within you, you know. So because ultimately we know what? We know that the Lord is in control ultimately. And ultimately we know that he works all things together for good for those who, are, who love him, right? Who are the called according to his purpose. He works it all out. Okay. Sometimes, though, when we're in the midst of those attacks or those trials or whatever, it's so hard to see that. But that's why we go back to the word of God to calm ourselves down. Right. And to look at it and see what's really going on, because the Lord is in control. And verse 12 says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is turned against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? That's the key here. We have to make the decision to say, I'm going to become a follower of what is good. And sometimes it's so easy to get off a track of that, right? So if you're living in a righteous manner, right, you're allowing the grace of God to teach you to live righteously, soberly, you're pursuing peace and you're turning from those that do evil, then the eyes of the Lord are upon you and he hears your prayers and no harm will be done to you, right? Now listen, it does hurt when people do you wrong or, or things happen in your life, but God is in control, and only he is able to make beauty from ashes, right? But we have to trust in him. And we have found this to be the case in our lives, in our ministry, Penny and I have. And, and you know, sometimes you do suffer for righteousness sake. Sometimes you step out to do something good. And then what happens, right? You're doing good things, but attacks come. That's just the ways of the world that we live in. 
It's a fallen world that we live in, right? And then verse 14 says, But even if you should, you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So you see, what we are to do when we step out by faith and we're honoring the Lord with our lives and we're doing what he wants us to do and then we're being attacked, we are to understand something. We are to understand that, like verse 14 says, we are blessed. Okay, Our, our Lord, when we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, we understand that he did nothing but good. And he was crucified for it. And Jesus told us that in this world, in this life, we will have tribulation. But, he said, be of good cheer. Why? Because he has overcome. So what we are to do is like it tells us there in those verses we just read, sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. That's what we are to do. And by so doing, we can impact others in a positive way. They will look at us and wonder how you're getting through this and in the midst of your trials and all that. And we'll be ready to give them an answer and say, it sure isn't me because I'm a wreck. I fall apart through all of this stuff. It sure isn't me. It's the one I trust in. Okay. So, so again, we don't want to return evil for evil. We are to, with meekness and reverence, we're to give people an answer for the reason of the hope that lies within us. We are to keep bitterness you know, out of our hearts and out of our minds, and we are to pursue peace. Okay? And you know, when I think about that pursuing peace, it just gives to me a visual picture in my head of it's not easy. You know, it's not easy. You have to pursue it. You have to say, you know, I'm going to be determined here to, to walk in this way. My life is speaking loudly to me in this way. Maybe even my flesh is welling up with bitterness or revenge or, or things like that. But we have to make that effort to say, no, instead, I am going to pursue peace. I'm going to go in this direction instead. Instead, And this will give us a clear conscience. And verse 16 tells us, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So by comparison, right, it's better to just keep doing good and to walk away when others do you harm than it is to begin to speak with bitterness on our tongues or in our hearts, right? Because God is watching and we need to let him have control. And who knows, you may never see the Lord deal with those that have harmed you or your circumstances or whatever, but we still need to press on and pursue peace righteousness, and holiness with all people. Jesus Christ was our example of this. And verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. So again, what's the context here? 
We are to keep pursuing peace, come what may, right? Jesus Christ is our example of this. He was the only just one, right? The only truly righteous and sinless man to ever live. And he suffered for all the rest of us, the just for the unjust. So he is our example of how we are to press on when we are mistreated, right? We are to put to death our flesh and we are to be made alive by the Spirit. When our flesh wants revenge or our flesh wants to speak ill things of others, we need to put it to death and press on knowing that we have been made alive now by the Spirit. We know you know, what living in the Spirit looks like, don't we? Galatians 5, 12 tells us what it looks like. It looks like love. It looks like joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what living the Spirit-led life looks like. So we're put to death the flesh, and we're made alive in the Spirit. And these things, right, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things are the things that should prevail in our lives since we've been made alive in the Spirit. So at the end of verse 18, there it speaks of the Spirit, right? And verse 19 continues speaking of the Spirit and says, by whom, so by the Spirit, also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. So by the Spirit, Jesus, we are told here that he went and he preached to the spirits. Notice the word spirits is not capitalized there. These were people whom, as verse 20 says, who were formerly were disobedient when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. So notice it says there that these were the people that were disobedient while the ark was being prepared. That's specifically who they were. They were the people that were disobedient while the ark was being prepared. That's what Peter is speaking of here. These people heard the warning of the impending doom, right? They heard that the rain and the flood was coming, but they were disobedient to it. And 2 Peter 2.5 tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So Noah was preaching to him. He was preaching righteousness and he's saying, hey, here's what's coming. Okay, but they were disobedient. So Jesus suffered in his flesh. Right. That's what Peter is talking about there. As you look back at verse 18 and he was put to death. Verse 18 tells us then he was made alive in the spirit. Then by the spirit, he went and preached to the spirits in prison. And as verse 19 tells us so. Many people have asked, right, so where was this prison, you know, where these spirits were being held? Where, where was this? Jesus went and preached to them, but, but where were they? Well, let's take a look at a story uh, in Luke chapter 16. Turn to Luke chapter 16. Jesus will tell us a story here in Luke chapter 16 about a couple of people that are in 
a couple of different places. And we'll start reading down in verse 19. So Luke 16, 19. Jesus speaking says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Now notice the distinction there. First of all, the beggar, the one that didn't have it so good in this life, he was immediately upon his death, immediately he was carried by the angels to a place called Abraham's bosom. That happens immediately for the righteous one in this story, right? This was a good place. Uh, this man was taken directly to a good place. Jesus describes the rich man as being buried, but then further explains in verse 23 about this man. It says, and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So this man that cared only about himself, he was down below because he lifted up his eyes to look over there, right? And he cared only about himself, but he was afar off from that good place, which was called Abraham's bosom here. And verse 24 says of this rich man, Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Okay, so we've established here in this story that there is a good place and there is a place of torment. Verse 25, but Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all of this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. So the gulf, as it's described there, was fixed. There was no getting from one place to the other place. Then verse 27, then he said, I beg you, therefore, father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. So now this man knew that he would forever be in this place of flames and torment. But he now wanted someone to go and to give warning to his father and to his brothers, but it was too late. And Abraham, verse 29, Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear. So, in other words, these people are still alive on the earth and they have the word of God. Okay, let them hear the word of God. They have Moses and the prophets. And he said, verse 30, and he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, 
If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Now, just look back real quick at verse 14 of Luke 16 here. Jesus tells this story to the Pharisees. And verse 14 tells us about these Pharisees. They were lovers of money. So Jesus is drawing their attention to the place that awaits them. Okay? Because their focus is all wrong. And as we flip back to 1 Peter chapter 3, we are seeing that when Jesus died in the flesh, he was made alive in the spirit. And when he was made alive in the spirit, he went and preached to the disobedient from Noah's time. Did they receive what he preached? One had now risen from the dead and went and preached to them. You would think that they did. We really don't know, do we? All of this is kind of a mystery to us. But here's what we are to receive from all of this. We have been redeemed. If you have repented of your sin, you've turned to the living God. You've been a made, you've, you have now been made alive in the spirit. And now you are to walk in the spirit. Not yielding any longer to the ways of the flesh. Not returning evil for evil. Not speaking deceitfully against others. We're now made alive spiritually. And as wives, we are to live in this manner, as we've seen in the Word of God. And as husbands, we are to live in this manner, as we've seen here in the Word of God. As children of God, we are to live in this manner, as it's pointing out to us here how we are to live. And we must be obedient to what we see in the Word of God. Like I've talked about so much, we must be doers of the Word and not forgetful hearers, okay? We, again, we are now made alive in the Spirit. And all of this because Jesus died for us, the just for the unjust. Heaven now awaits the born-again, obedient follower of Jesus Christ. Now, let's read the end of verse 20 here in 1 Peter 3 again. It says, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. So in Noah's time, only eight people were saved from the flood waters. The water didn't save them, of course. The ark, the ark saved them, right? And did the water forever wash away sin from the earth? The flood, did it forever wash away sin from the earth? No, it did not. Because as soon as Noah and his family got to dry land, sin came back into the picture again. So sin was not washed away by the water. Okay. Then verse 21, there is also an antitype. Now, an antitype is a pattern or a like figure of something else, right? So eight souls were saved in Noah's time. So there is also an antitype which now saves us baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. 
So Peter goes from speaking of the time of Noah, right, to correlating that to those of us today that have now received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and has been made alive in the Spirit. We get baptized, and this does nothing to remove the filth of our flesh, the sin of our flesh. It's only the shed blood of Jesus Christ that has done that. But what it does do is gives us a good conscience toward God. Again, we should now go on and live a very different life than how we once lived in the flesh. We have been made alive in the spirit. And baptism is a very important step for us in this new life. And we'll, we'll rob a little bit now from next week's study. But look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. So are you seeing the point here in Peter's writing here? Live for God, not for this world. Pursue peace in your life, in your marriage, in your home, in just your daily life in general, right? Pursue righteousness, pursue holiness. For scripture tells us that without holiness, no one will see God and avoid others that live to the contrary, you see. So the, this whole letter is just directing our attention on how we should live in a very practical sense today. This is very rubber meeting the road teaching here from the word of God. You have to apply it to your lives and you have to question yourself and say, and, and then when you do and you look at it and you say, man, I'm, I'm not seeing me in there. And all of us can do that. We can say, Lord, I'm not seeing me in what you're saying here. Help me with this. Because now that you've showed it to me in your word, I want to be obedient to it. So help me in it. And then we just simply repent. And we simply turn and we look at it. Why do we keep going to the word of God? Because it's the milk of the word of God that we may grow thereby. But we also know we are to mature in it and we are to change and we should see a difference in our lives on how we should live. But none of us, there is no condemnation for us. This is not condemnation when we look at this, but it should be conviction for us. We should be convicted to say, yeah, I see your word, God, and I see where I'm falling short. And you know what it takes? It just takes that, you know, kind of like we sung about today, right? It just takes that faith to, to step out onto the water. It just step out of the boat. We've been in this boat for a while now, or somehow I ended up in this boat, and I didn't even want to be here, but here I am in this boat. I'm getting out of it, and I'm going toward Jesus. I'm going toward his word where he's calling me because he's calling me to a blessing. Okay? And life brings us chaos and it brings us the storm and it brings us the wind and it brings, brings the waves. But Jesus is right there. And in his word today, he calls out to us again as believers. And we just need to step out on the waters and let our faith be without borders like we sung about. Right. And just go. Just do it. Just turn around. 
I know it seems complicated when life is heavy. And again, we've been under some great things in, in our ministry, you know, just our time of being, you know, stepping out and doing these Bible teachings as we have. And it weighs us down and it has beaten us down to the ground. But you just got to keep going by faith. You got to step out and be obedient to the word of God. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you have not left us alone, Lord. You look deep within us, Lord. You see as as we cannot see ourselves and, and surely as others cannot see us, Lord. You see our hearts and you see our every need. And by your word, Lord, you convict us and you speak to us, Lord. Thank you for your great love for us, Lord, that you would just not cast us aside but that you love us so much that you pursue us by your Holy Spirit through your word. You pursue us, Lord. May we make that decision now to pursue the things that you desire for us to pursue, righteousness and peace and holiness. All of this for your name's sake. And all of this, Lord, as a result only of your grace and your love. So thank you, Lord, for this time in your word again. We just pray as we go forth into another week that we would go with our eyes fixed on you, that we would be obedient to your calling and to your word as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.